Welcome back to Real Stories, a special edition of Part of the Story, Reggie Public Library's official podcast. I'm Claire Brown. And I'm Lee Westlack. Today we're talking about the best movies since Y2K, the 20 aughts, yes, the year 2000. It's kind of weird though because. Like, best of since 2000, first of all. That is nearly a quarter of a century now. This is a wide <laughs> cast net. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, when I started making the list, I don't know if you have the same problem, but you were like, oh, that was good. Yeah, that, yeah, this one too. Yeah, this one too. And, it, like, it just got out of control oh, a little oh, bit. Oh, yes, yeah. And then it's, like, best of, but, like, that's a personal decision. Yeah. We're not saying, like, critically best. Yeah. We are saying our personal best slash favorites in this moment. I mean, I won't lie, <laughs> I did check out some critics' lists to see what their nope, best notes were. Um, just to kind of see where I was at, maybe, or did I have anything? No, I am my own critic. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did check, and uh, and we're, we did pretty good, actually. There was a... There, we were on well, a I think we had lists, some objectively so. good things. Uh, sure. But I think... One of mine in particular might <laughs> might be questionable. Right. Well, I have I have what I would call a lot of boy movies on mine. You so. do have a lot of boy movies. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I necessarily have girly films like at my own. No. But yeah. Like yeah, you do. It'll be very obvious. When yeah. We start getting into them. Just how yeah, how much they are. Yeah. But they are so good. So again, these are our picks. We'd love to hear your picks. We didn't, I didn't use any specific criteria. I sort of just went through and thought, you're on making the long list because I remember liking you or I've watched you a million times yeah, or whatever it is. And then I just narrowed it down to like, these are the ones. Yeah. Is that your process as well? Yeah, pretty much. Like, and, and I mean, I, I had a long list and then I created from that long list a short list, saw your short list <laughs> and was like, oh good, Claire has this on her list so I don't need to put it on mine, I yeah. guess, you know. Um, but yeah, it was it was more of like what, I tried to pick things that like really struck me either at the time, because mm-hmm. again, like you said, we're going over two decades. Yeah. So it was either at the time it struck me as really good or it still holds up really good Yeah. Uh, or, or a combination thereof. Yeah, so, 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 so true. Yeah. Let's get started with your first one, because I, like, <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. My first one is Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Because it starts it. It starts the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the whole, the whole, it the starts whole off thing. the whole shebang, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I feel like, I know for some people, the Fellowship of the Ring was not their favorite film out of the three, of the original trilogy. Um, you need it. Yeah, and you need a starting off point. Yeah. And I feel like this one is is actually objectively better only because of the restrictions that were put on Peter Jackson when he was starting these films. So mm. when he started filming these, he didn't have a ton of money from uh, New Line Cinema. Right. They were they were just taking a risk on him and said, okay, we're going to let you put together this <laughs> huge ensemble yeah. cast of people. We're going to let you film in New Zealand. Um, you know, very limited FX budget comparatively yeah. to the other oh, two. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of practical effects in it, and I think that makes it hold up better in the long run. Yeah, I would agree. I I always think of the Lord of the Rings films as one film, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's a nine hour film or whatever, right? <laughs> like, but the so this is my first introduction to Lord of the Rings. I was right. not like a reader of Tolkien. I didn't know anything about it, and I think when it first came out, probably that first year. I was like, that's not for me. It's a boy movie. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and then and then there's so much hype around it mm. that I peer pressured into watching it. And well, then it was good. so good. And then you're like, the next one and the next one. And yeah. then you're like in it. It yeah. really captures you. Yeah. And I mean, even for me, I remember at the time, I, you know, watching the first film and I was just absolutely 
blown away by the scope and the grandeur of what yes. Peter Jackson managed to capture. Um, and, and I mean, like, through so many scenes. But don't you think that's a little bit missing in today's cinema? Because, like, because this is filmed outside. This is filmed on location. Right. This is filmed in the, you know, quote-unquote, real world. Right. Whereas, like, so much of today is on a green screen. Even on in the theater, having a theater experience, unless you have, in, like, one of your films, has, like, the perfect director, perfect <laughs> cinematographer combination, right. where you're watching it and you're just, like, in awe. Yeah. But this one, it really used like the nature oh, yeah. of being outside to be like basically a character in the film. Absolutely. Yeah. It is its own breathing, living, breathing kind of. And I think that helps it hold right. up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it, I, I it, it's hard to, it, it's hard to say like with Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, um, for me again, because it's not so much VFX that's being mm-hmm. used. It, there are definitely shots that are showing the landscape and you know even when they're you know they're crossing the mountains you can feel like you're actually in a set of mountains and it's not just a bunch of cgi you know so there yeah i think you're right like the environment has its own piece to it the ensemble cast that comes along with it has which was like a lot of fairly unknown people or people who hadn't been in high you know budget things right in a while well at the at the time new line cinema was so excited when peter jackson decided to hire Liv tyler yeah because they were like she's oh, like the known one a hollywood actress <laughs> yes <laughs> we're getting an a-lister on this and you're like and i'm looking at the list of names on here and i'm like was were they not a-listers before but no, no i mean a lot of them were not you know or had been out of the market for a while you know uh, and or they were like films. known but not as like box office known right for right. example, I saw something recently when uh, Seth Rogen was talking about um, Ian McKellen mm. because he was saying, like, if you love something, just do it. Do it for the love of it, and eventually either your love will sustain you or something good will happen. And right. he's like, who knew Ian McKellen's name when he was 32? Yeah. Yeah. Like, he was a stage actor in productions, for sure. Yeah. But, like, X-Men and Lord of the Rings was, like, he's Ian McKellen. Yeah. And he was, like, in his 60s. Yeah, I mean... And, and that, became, like, super famous. I mean, if anything, <laughs> that kind of shows is, like, do what you love at any time in your life. Yes. Because you, never, because you could be in Lord, the next Lord of the Rings if yeah. you wanted to. Also, shout out to Viggo Mortensen. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, literally, in love with him then, in love with him now. Whenever I watch him, I'm just, like... Yes, Although, Aragorn. In doing research for this, I did find out that Nicolas Cage was on the shortlist for. No, being... I don't think he's the right one. I think they <laughs> went the right. I love Nicolas Cage. I love him, but no. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> he's mean, not the one. yeah. I, I mean, everyone did a great job. I, I really think the w- one person who stands out for me a lot in this is is Andy Serkis uh, oh, doing yeah. Gollum. You know, even though it's all motion early capture. motion capture. Yeah, so yeah. it is quite early, but I mean. Uh, what he did with it and the way that he did it, like if you if you watch the behind the scenes, uh, is just amazing. But how he grew that too to like true performance, mm-hmm. like yeah. I really wanted to add, as you know, the new Planet of the Apes films on mm. here, which are his films, right? And he stars in them, and he he does the motion capture, and the other people who are playing the apes also do the motion capture. So you can see that this is where he started, and this is where he figured out mm. how to do a true performance yeah. without your physical body being seen in that way. Right. And, like, he's excellent. Yeah. Oh, if you think is... of a different actor, it wouldn't be the same. He clearly is free with his physicality, and he's oh, yeah. really creating character. And 
yeah, like again, who was he? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it, and you're right. It was it was pretty much the birth of of mocap yeah. being being utilized more mm-hmm. often, and, yeah. and and not just like quickly. You know, like this is a full character that right. shows up for a lot of the film. Yeah, this is not a quick five minute sequence. This is a like proper other character in the film. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think it just goes to show how good Peter Jackson is as a director. Yes, uh, incorporating those motion capture, making it look real. I mean, all the tricks of photography that he used yeah. on set too. For also, the size differentials for everybody. Yeah. And like the distance of, yeah. Just yeah, everything. and that's just forced perspective. That's yeah. not them using VFX. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this had, a, I mean, especially it's 2001. Yeah. So we're in the, you know, the early days of video FX. And, yeah. And he used a lot of practical stuff in order to make it. So I, I just, that's why it's it's got to be on this list for me. It kicks off so much, and it does so much for the industry, I think. I was happy to see it on your list. It wasn't going to be on my list, but when I saw it on your list, I was like, yes. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my first one, and like these for me are in order, but like my order could change depending on my mood preferences, basically. Right. But for number five, I have Howl's Moving Castle, mm. which is a Hayao Miyazaki film who he's experiencing like a huge sort of resurgence in the English speaking world yeah. with his newest film, The Boy and the Heron, um, which I have not seen yet. I have I'm not so yet either. Yeah. Sad. The times here have just not been easy. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so I love Miyazaki's films because they are always somehow grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. Something personal, like deeply personal is happening. Right. But then there's the magic around it. And sometimes the magic is sort of a quieter character, and sometimes it's like in your face. Howl's Moving Castle is a magic, like in your face uh, type of film. Right. Like Howl is a wizard. There are other like witches and wizards, and there's a whole mm-hmm. thing happening, and she's under a spell, and her name is Sophie, and she's under a spell, and all of that. But Miyazaki's films, and like it was like to me, I do think that Howl is my favorite film. Okay. But when I start thinking about it, then it's like, well, but Ponyo, right? Well, but you know, and like you could sort of argue for all of them because they all have a particular magic. One movie of his that I will never rewatch is Grave of the Fireflies, because no. Um, <laughs> but like, if you want to watch a comfort film, I love Howl. I love the score. I love the voice performances. So like the English voice performances, like Christian Bale is Howl, yeah. and just it's sort of a it's like a two times Beauty and the Beast kind of mm-hmm. film because. They are both the beauty and they are both the beast, depending on where you are in right. the story. And I'm always a sucker for a beauty and the beast <laughs> trope. But I just, I love it so much because it's like they're sort of, you know, thought of as children's films. Mm-hmm. But there's so much more always happening with Miyazaki films. And like some of the animation style is like, it can be gruesome it can be scary it can be beautiful it can be like so many different things and the story can be gruesome and scary and terrible and good and exciting and happy and all of those things Mm -hmm. too like if you watch a movie like his like spirited away for example like there are some like gruesome scenes in there but there's just like this whole underlying just like beauty of his style and his storytelling that i had to have one of them but like i will be honest 
like Howell was always going to be on the list, but I was always like, oh, Ponyo. Because I, like, there's some, there's such a sweetness right. about Ponyo. So, like, really, I wanted all Miyazaki films to be on right. here. But, like, if you want to cry like a baby, Grave of the Fireflies. But, like, oh, just, like, his films. They're just beautiful. And I, I can't wait to see The Boy and the Heron as well. Which brings back Christian Bale right. into the Miyazaki film verse, if you will. Yeah. So, it's just, it's very exciting. And I just... I mean, like... It's a feast for the eyes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I mean, that's that's most of Studio uh, Ghibli's movies oh, are, are always like Color that. Um, you know, and if you <laughs> if you watch enough of them, like, uh, the, the amazing thing to me is, like, watching the scenes in Ghibli movies that uh, are when they're cooking. Because yes, they always show, like, detail. food and such. Like, and it makes you, hu- like, made me hungry for breakfast watching yeah. this when they're making the breakfast in the, in the film at the, in the castle. Uh, and it was just like, oh, wow. It's like, how do they... So detailed, so beautifully thought. Like, yeah. it's just, nothing is an afterthought. Like, even, like, a quickly doing, like, a little, um, like, in Howl, he's making eggs. Right. And, like, how he holds the utensils, how Casper yeah. interacts with him, and all of that stuff. Like, every little thing is planned to the detail. Yeah. But it does not feel overworked. It just feels like it flows with this, like, natural um, flow that is just... It's not captured in other animated films. Yeah, not 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 even. I mean, like, I feel like they just know how to do it, and yep. they just and and they must storyboard and plan this out like oh, yeah, meticulously. Yeah, because it, it. You're right. I mean, it is right down to the the very smallest of details. Yeah, how the egg breaks. Yeah, like, yeah, and it and it opens up like proper. Yeah. you know, as if you you know you were doing it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and I mean, you you talk about Christian Bale, who I think. Out of the voice cast is perhaps one of the the like I I was surprised I rewatched this because it was on your list so I was like I had to go back and look at it because Spirited Away for me is it's one of a, my top ones an excellent film yeah. yeah but then I was after I rewatched this I was like oh yeah this is a nice comfort movie yes and uh, I, I could always be in the mood yeah and and Christian Bale is a very surprisingly talented voice actor on top yeah. of being just a you know a good actor in general uh, you know he's in one of the other films where I'm going to gush about him a little bit on, <laughs> on your pick list. But, I mean, like, he, he really sells it for me. You know, Billy Crystal's Calcifer goes a little over the top in this for me. Yeah. Um, Emily um, Mortimer does a really great job, I think, yeah. with Young Sophie. Yeah, she has that sweetness. Yeah. Yeah, but Christian Bale encompasses all these facets of Hal, who is a very deep character that has a lot of intersection i think in mm-hmm. his characteristics you know he he overreacts but he's yeah. also very strongly magically powered yeah you know he seems to sometimes have a wisdom beyond his years and yet at the same time he's still a child yeah and christian bale captures all of that i feel like yeah and and so he kind of really shines in this he really has an excellent tone there's mm-hmm. something very comforting about how he sounds right. as Howell. Yeah. Um, because Christian Bale, he's an English actor. Um, and he, I think he sounds more like nasally when he's himself. Yeah, sure. Um, but the tone that he uses for Howell is very sort of grounded and just melodic. And you think, yes, you're, you're magic. I, <laughs> I understand your character completely. It's just such a beautiful, yeah, it's a beautiful voice performance, but it's a beautiful film. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it really, really matches. Yeah. What's your next? Well, for me, uh, my number four pick is going to be Casino Royale. 
Okay, full disclosure, I have not watched Casino Royale. <laughs> I've watched others in the Daniel Craig Bond oeuvre, but not this one. <laughs> this, this one I picked simply because, again, it kicks off the new Bond. Yeah. And I think it blew me away when I originally watched it because it was not at all what I was expecting going into a Bond film. Yeah. You know, the Sean Connery, the Pierce Brosnan, uh, you know, the cheese and all the stuff that goes the along with it, the old. The camp yeah, of it, yeah. That all the winking. is kind of washed away yeah. with Casino Royale. We are put into this universe of this very dark, very gritty version of Bond. Yeah. And it explains actually a lot because the, this is Bond's basically first. He becomes a double O yeah. in this film. And so uh, it shows this change in Bond as to why he is so, I don't want to use the word callous per se, because I still think he still has morals beyond Casino Royale, yeah. but he's been hurt and, and hurt a lot. And he's been... Um, kind of let down even by people who he trusts. Like a detached kind of character Definitely. instead of an emotionally engaged kind yeah. of character. Yeah, and so you see this happen throughout the film, and it comes to explain why Bond doesn't form attachments later on in, in, in any of the other film series, perhaps. Why yeah. he seems so, you know... Cavalier. Yeah, yeah, and he just he takes things and then he pushes them away right away yeah. because he doesn't want to form an attachment anymore. Yeah. Casino Royale shows that narrative and so shows that character growth. And Daniel Craig nails it. I know he is a good Bond. Oh my gosh! Like yeah. I know that there was criticism for this movie when it first came out because they were like Daniel Craig, he's not. But also, I think it's it speaks to sort of the filmmakers because they were making their Bond movie. They right. were they yeah. had a vision. They had the actor that they wanted. They didn't you know bow to pressure. And then like it's hard to come into a long running fandom. Mm. And change sort of what the audience knows to be true. Right. Like, to take... Because Bond, particularly, like... I knew a lot of, like, the Pierce Brosnan ones, for mm-hmm. example. Yeah. And, like, the stories got more and more wild. Like, right. And, yeah. like, not based in reality, right? right? And I'm not saying that Daniel Craig's movies are 100% based in reality, but there's this, like, grittiness yeah. about it where his character is fully based in reality. So even if things are kind of like we don't have that technology yet or this or that or whatever you're his character is still really grounded yeah. he's not this like campy like man about town right. spy yeah you know so i think and that probably the fans of the man about town spy were like what is this we came for a fun romp yeah and now we feel some type of way yeah i mean it still had elements of some very cheeky uh, dialogue, especially like between Daniel Craig and Eva Green, um, you know they, they they played off of each other so well in this movie. Like the performance between them, the chemistry is amazing between them. Um, and I know you're talking about some of the later Bond films, uh, yeah. Daniel Craig Bond films, because that's what you've seen. But Casino Royale stays very, I feel like, comparatively to all the other Bond films, grounded in reality. Everything that I have happens to say in that this I started film. In Skyfall. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that happens in this film very, very much could potentially happen. Yeah. And, you know, it talks even about, you know, uh, one of the, the chief villains, one of his plans is to basically short stocks on a company. Uh, and then he's planning to blow up their brand new airplane uh, in order to make millions, if not billions of dollars. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, like that has happened oh, yeah. in our, in it our could world. Happen, yeah. 
you know, uh, you know, well, it hasn't happened in our world, but it could happen. Yeah. And shorting stocks is a big thing. Oh, yeah. We'll get into that later. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but like Daniel Craig, Eva Green, Mads Milkinson, uh, Judy Dench, you know. I love Judy Dench. Uh, Dame Judy Dench <laughs> absolutely nails M for me. And, and it's a, such a nice, refreshing take on M. Yeah. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, Ralph Fine does a great job too. Yeah. Uh, but. I, I really love Judy Dench's version of it and, and the way that she just doesn't tolerate Bond's BS, basically. Yeah. Uh, and, and you don't necessarily expect it looking at her because you're like, ooh, a little grandma. Or like right. you've seen her in like period dramas or whatever. And then she's like the boss. Right, yeah. I mean, she will mess you up, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, But you know she's done stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the Casino Royale is a, is a little bit of a longer film. Uh, and I mean, all of the Daniel Craig Bond films are are a bit yeah. longer, but I, I do feel like it. Even though there is a little bit of pacing issues here and there, it really shows a complete narrative and a full character arc for Bond in one film. It, yeah. it, it and it just kind of like sets everything else up for the rest of the Bond series that Daniel Craig is in. Yeah. You know, um, and it's kind of funny. You talked about it earlier about Daniel Craig having to come in you know, to a brand new, you know, Bond and, and try and sell it. Yeah. And we're at that point again now because Daniel Craig yeah. is retired from Bond. So they're and still I'm really searching. interested to see where they go. I mean, there's so many choices. I yeah. mean, I know Idris Elba was on the list at one point. Henry Cavill, potentially. I think they should, like, Daniel Craig was known, but not known. Right. I think they should do that again. I think it's a mistake to have a movie star right. as Bond. I think Bond should make you a movie star. Because, like, you'll be famous. You're Bond. Right. But I don't think you should start as a movie star. And, like, I would have loved Idris Elba 10, 15 years ago. Right. Like, as an unknown. But now he's too known. He's too Idris Elba. Like, Henry Cavill, same problem. Right. Yeah. Um, but, like, can you imagine them just finding somebody who, like, oh, it's that guy. And then you see him and you're like, yes. Yeah. And, yeah. like, now you're a movie star because of Bond. And, it, and that way they can kind of, like, mold the... To the character what they want. Yeah. And people don't necessarily have these expectations. Because obviously Daniel Craig had a career before Bond. Right. People knew him. But he wasn't Daniel Craig. Right. Like, he was that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I know that guy. Yeah. So... So we'll, we'll see. We'll see what comes of it. But, yeah, I mean, Casino Royale, if you if you don't watch Bond films because you're, you're worried about the campiness, you're worried about the cheese and everything yeah. else, the, the unbelievability of it. <laughs> Honestly, give it a give it a shot because yeah, I, I was, think I you probably would enjoy Daniel Craig's version of Bond. And I like that they build on the mythology from film to film. Right. Like they had a, they clearly had some ideas of where they wanted his arc to sort of go. Mm-hmm. And so it matters what happened before and it matters what happens next, which I think like, other James Bond films are very insular. It is the one-off film. Yeah, they're very episodic. What, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter what happened before. And maybe that's just me loving long-form content. But <laughs> I, 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 if I get to know a character and then you're going to be in five movies, I want it to matter. Yeah. And I say that as a person who started at Skyfall. Right. But, like, still. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just, they're good. They're well done. They yeah. look good and they're... Well done. Yeah, yeah, they're they're exceedingly good, and I mean the the whole series, you know, has a couple of ones that I would definitely not necessarily recommend as like great movies, but they do they do complete a whole like as you said like an arc, this narrative yeah. of Bond from start to finish. Yeah, what know? Bond was for the filmmakers of yeah. the series. Yeah, right. oh, love it. Yeah, what's your uh, next pick? 
My number four is Watchmen mm. from 2009. Mm-hmm. So I remember seeing this in the theater and I had read the graphic novel because like it had been announced and blah, 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 probably like two years before. And this was before that I like all the graphic novels I was reading at that time were like Batman. Like okay. Batman was the only one that I cared about. Right. I didn't care about anyone else. And so I'd never read this like one off like, complete story, like, Watchmen, right? Mm -hmm. So I read Watchmen, and I was like, this is cool. And then you see the trailer, and you're like, ooh, this is cool. So went to the theater. It was probably, at that time, probably one of the longest movies that I'd ever seen in the theater. (laughs) And I was supposed to go with somebody. I still remember this, because it was so funny. I was supposed to go with somebody, um, and they, something happened with school or something, whatever. They couldn't go. And I was in college at the time. Right. And... So my brother was still living at home, and he, I was like, Thomas, like, come to this movie with me or whatever. He's like, okay, fine. So he didn't know anything about it. So we sit down in the chairs, and I think we went to the late show, too. It was probably, like, 10 o'clock. And he was like, how long is this movie? Because he had, like, worked all day. Like, he was 18 (laughs) years old. He's a welder. And he had worked all day. And I was like, um, it's three hours. (laughs) And he's like, are you serious? Like, I still remember that when we're watching the trailers at 10 o'clock at night. And I was like, yes. He's like, you knew I wouldn't come if it was this long. It's like, you'll like it. But the opening sequence of Watchmen is one of the Mm. best opening sequences Mm -hmm. to any film ever. Not just, like, comic book films. The choice of Bob Dylan's Times They Are A-Changin' and the montage of you know, different, like, sort of TV clips slash, like, newspaper stuff slash all of that kind of stuff, how it plays, like, and that's, like, what, 10 minutes into the film? Right. And, and you're like, oh, like, yeah. I'm in. Let's do, let's do whatever we're doing. And it's so dark. Like, Watchmen yes. is so dark. Absolutely. There is, n- there is nothing that makes you feel hopeful. Yeah. Uh, with Watchmen. Absolutely nothing. Like, characters have dark backstories, um, the ending is pretty, yeah, like not great. Yeah, <laughs> like you're not feeling hopeful. Um, the performances, I think everyone's well cast. Like, um, and they were people at the time who like weren't famous. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, really? even Jeffrey Dean Morgan is somebody that I want. Well, as soon as I saw this, I was like, yeah. oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he had done what I think Supernatural, maybe probably, oh, maybe and not like, even actually at that time, actually. Maybe, Maybe not was. even. I'm not sure. Like, but yeah. then you have like Patrick Wilson, who mm-hmm. was I think on Broadway at the time, and like this is one of his first like films. Yeah, I think the like, only other had... one was Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, exactly. Came right around this time. Yeah. Um, I can't remember how you say your name. Malin Ackerman. Oh, yeah, Malin Ackerman. Is yep. it Malin? Yep. Um, she, she was so. beautiful, but like nobody. So right. Carla Gugino, she was known. Yeah. Billy Crudup, I would say known. Yeah. Um, not like movie star famous. No. But known. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember the guy that plays Warshak off the top of my head right now. Uh, Jack Earl Haley. Yeah. Yeah. Jack Nobody. Haley. Yeah. Matthew Good, who plays, um, I don't always want to call him Ozymandias, but. <laughs> <laughs> Ozymandias. Yeah. 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 Um, but like, all, like nobody, like nobody is famous. Nobody is like a movie star. Right. Like holding this film up by themselves. They are an ensemble cast who were cast like by Zack Snyder. This is before his DCEU. Right. Um, to like be that character, not because they were famous, not because they were gonna be in box office, but because he saw them as that character. Yeah. And the film is 
good. Like, it looks good. It looks like a comic. Recently, actually, Christopher Nolan was talking about it because he's been doing a lot of press because of Oppenheimer, but they've been asking him questions, and he's been, like, doing a lot of panels, either where he hosts or is one of the guests, which I love that. Right. Um, And they were asking, because he would have had Dark Knight coming out around this same time, and so they were sort of asking him about comic book movies then versus now, and he said that Zack Snyder was way ahead of his time in terms of what he was able to accomplish with tone, with source material, with his actors, etc., And I think that that is true. Yeah. And I think without a film like Watchmen, like that got people interested, I think a little bit more in comic books, like people who weren't in comic books before, because it was a film. It was a yeah. movie. Like it wasn't just like a Batman movie. And not to say that Nolan's Batman movies are bad, yeah. but I'm just saying that character is known. Yeah. Like the, the draw is Batman. But like with the Watchmen, like, yeah, people knew about that comic in the eighties when it came out. But then it, it wasn't, wasn't yeah. like this like text that everyone's like all up in on, you know yeah. what I mean? So I just I think it's a really important film for me and like my expansion of like what I thought comic book movies could be because I was in the Batman camp, hundred <laughs> percent. But I we're talking about Bond sort of taking this like gritty dark turn. Yeah. Watchmen is extremely dark, extremely oh, yeah. gritty. Just like violent and philosophical and just yeah hopeless but not in this like i don't know in a very watchable way yeah yeah like i mean and i I think i think you're right in in a sense of like the way that zach uh, snyder captured the essence of the graphic novel because he wanted i think he wanted to see an actual like true adaptation of a graphic novel yeah it looks like a graphic novel for something that was uh, originally touted as, as something that would be unfilmable, yeah. uh, you know, and so he, he, and I mean, there there were a lot of critics that talked about Watchmen that they were like it was too dark or it was too this or it was too that. Yeah. But that's because Zach kept it absolutely as close to the source material as he could. Yeah. You know, w- with some bits because obviously. There's but you could tell that he don't. loved the source yes. material. Yeah. Like he wasn't making it to like just make a movie. He was making it because he loved the source material and he wanted to see it come to life. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would argue this is arguably Zach's best comic, uh, you know, yeah, film. Yeah, probably. Uh, you know, even though these aren't superheroes per se. Yeah. And I mean, this film probably would have hit way different, uh, you know. Five years later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or, you know, during the Avengers time frame. Yeah. I feel like seeing these people who are definitely not some of them are heroes some of them are definitely not heroes yeah. could even be classified as villains definitely anti-heroes at the very least yeah you know uh, but villains who think they are heroes right yeah but in a complicated way because like you have some of that with like ultron or whatever right like the villain yeah. who thinks that they're saving but these are people like these are people yeah. who have whatever power that they have and they're using it for whatever gains they think is right yeah and their right is very different from like what you would think of as right and wrong yeah i think this movie personifies that adage of the path to hell is paved with good intentions yes because even though you know the character some of the characters have the best of intentions no, with trying to solve rails. world problems <laughs> yeah they, they've they just annihilate people yeah. to do it yeah and they don't even care they're just like this has to be done this is for, it's the, just, it's for the greater so good it's so good and I just, yeah, I think about watching it for the first time. And that's why it's on my list. It's because 
like I remember watching it for the first time mm. and watching it you know quite a few times afterwards but that <laughs> first watch where it's just like oh my word yeah like this is like nothing I've ever seen yeah, it, it was brilliant. I mean, there were a couple of parts. There were some cheesy moments in it, too. But that's comics. Um, yeah, but... It, that makes sense yeah, to me. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, and you can forgive it because it, it makes sense. Right, yeah. 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 And, and, and there also, are those moments that are in there yeah. like that, that definitely remind you that this is a graphic novel yeah. adaptation and not just... You know, uh, film. And it's very, like, male gaze, for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but so is the source material. Right, yeah. So is sort of that time period in comics right so it it all sort of makes sense to me yeah i'm really excited about your number three get to it ah uh, okay it. yeah 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 <laughs> uh so my number three uh is john wick chapter two do i have to like give back my keanu reeves fan club membership for not having john wick on uh, my list you you had it on your short list so that's <laughs> it's okay you know uh you had it there and that's what made me think of this because i was like mm, john wick yeah i mean it changed the i think i personally think John Wick changed the way that action cinema uh, has been done now. Uh, may, maybe not fully, but just the the gun foo and everything that's in it. Well, people seem to care more about stunt performers, right? About the choreography of it, and about like Keanu Reeves doesn't do everything, right. but he does a lot. Yeah, and they show that he does a lot by having a steady cam, yeah. by having close-ups, by clearly showing him do the thing. And when you watch other action movies now, like either before or after John Wick, and there's shaky cam, or you see them from behind, yeah. or like you see a quick cut here and there, you're like, mm, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, John Wick created these long action shots of just like consistent you know, action going on in the scene without ever cutting away, without ever changing it. It's like dance choreography. Yeah, bird's eyed views of these shots going on and yeah. everything, you know, especially oh, yeah. in the chapter later four. chapter three and four, yeah. you know, like you get to see some of that. And I mean, as the as time goes on, like John Wick one is full of some action, but has a lot of narrative to it too. Yeah. A lot of pieces that um, I feel like we don't get to understand the world. And that's why I picked chapter two is because we, we that starts to open up and we get to see that world building aspect yeah. of it. Um, you know, and then as time goes on though, on each of these films, the action shots get longer and longer. And in like chapter four, I mean, what, it was like a 15 minute, 20 minute action shot, I think for one yeah. of the scenes where it was just nonstop, just gun violence the whole time, <laughs> you know, which, you know, could be considered a negative yeah. for this film that it, it is pretty much a lot of violence, yeah. a lot of gore. Well, maybe not gore, but it definitely does show, you know, Bloodiness. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Keanu Reeves getting beat up to, yeah. to smithereens. But I feel like this is one of the first action franchises where, like, he'll run out of ammunition and it's not played for laughs. Right. Like, it's, it's serious. And he's trying to, like, figure out how to do whatever he is doing. Yeah. And, like, the first film was a one-off film, right? Like, mm -hmm. it was... Like, Keanu Reeves is a movie star, for sure. But hadn't been a box office draw in a while, and so the director of John Wick, all four, was the stunt uh, coordinator from the Matrix films. So right. had known Keanu Reeves for a really long time and sort of knew what he was capable of and how hard he trains, obviously, yeah. to get to where he needs to be. So they made this movie together, like small budget movie right. that like they dropped in like January or February, which was at that time the dead months. It's like yeah. the studio is just going to get rid of the film. And then, you know, it did okay. 
Right. But then it like popped off on DVD and yeah. then people talking about it and just being amazed by the action shots. And it's like the first one is a revenge tale. Right. Yeah. Like full on. Absolutely. And then you you see little glimpses of this like underworld mm-hmm. of things in yeah. the continental and, and whatnot. But then in two, yeah, you're really seeing more things about the underworld, the high table, the yeah. everything else. I really liked Common mm-hmm. in this yeah. film. Yeah. I thought that he did an excellent job because I didn't really think of him in that way. But clearly he cared about learning the choreo and, and you know, bringing his A-game to that as well. Yeah. I would think that it, it gets to a point that it would be hard to find actors willing to do the work that it takes to be in these films. Yeah. Because nobody is phoning in it, like Halle Berry in three oh, as well. Yeah. Like clearly uh, being physical and doing the work as well. Like it has to be hard. Oh yeah. I mean, you watch, I mean, I watch behind the scenes of Halle Berry training with uh, dogs. Keanu Reeves and the dogs yeah. and stuff and like them going basically through CQB courses uh, at, with live ammunition, you know, and yeah. they, they were doing those things and they were prepping for like how to handle a weapon, how to change the And that's why magazine. it looks good. Yeah, because it's real. Yeah, like, it, and they know how to do it. They're yeah. not pretending. And yeah, like I almost had John Wick number one on my list. <laughs> Not because it's necessarily my favorite one, but because yeah, it starts it all off, right? right? Yeah. Um, but it just it couldn't squeeze on my list. But I'm happy that you <laughs> that you have representation here because it I think it has changed the action game. And you yeah. have a couple of sort of like honorable mentions right. to show the change in that game. And 100 percent like. I sort of forgot about Nobody, but Atomic Blonde yes. with Charlize Theron, yeah. like you're seeing the influence there 100%. Yeah. And the fact that there is not a sequel, a crime. I, well, you know, and they were actually talking about how uh, they want to, or wanted to at one point, I don't know if this is still true, but they wanted to do a mashup of Atomic Blonde and John Wick because they were saying that those two exist within the same universe potentially. Well, I think we're going to get something of that vibe with that ballerina that's right. coming out this year with right. Anna de Armas. Yeah. Um, so it takes place before John Wick 4. So he's in it. Right. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm like really looking forward to that. I think she also has the physicality. Right. Her part in The Last Bond with uh, Daniel Craig. Yes. I loved her part. Yeah. She was excellent in the physicality of it. She was excellent with the charisma. She's highly watchable, and I really hope for good things for that ballerina film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm excited for it. And I mean, oh, man, I just, I just love the John Wick series for, of course... All of those reasons, but also for just, it's just mindless watching where I can just turn it on and it's, it's just action. You know, I don't have to like sit there and ponder the (laughs) inner workings of our universe. You're just like on Wick's side, whatever he's doing, maybe it's not the greatest, but we're on John Wick's side. Yeah, exactly. And and then one more reason why I picked chapter two as opposed to chapter one is if you uh, don't like watching animals be harmed, yeah. uh, chapter one might be something that's skippable, or at least certain portions of it are. Because yeah. that's what kicks off the full revenge tale is a dog gets taken out. Yeah. Uh, and so that was like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, oh I don't yeah. like, no. Uh, not, that, not that that would stop me, but I know for some people that's a big like, yeah. no-no, basically, for yeah. them. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. My number three is... I don't know. I want to say it's like one of the best movies ever made, but then it's like my number three. (laughs) (laughs) Is it really? (laughs) Um, So it's The Big Short from 2015. 
and it's an Anna McKay directed film about basically what happened in Wall Street and the banks with the crash in 2008. Yeah. And we're talking about like a huge cast of people. Yeah. You have Gosling, Ryan Gosling, you have Christian Bale, you have Steve Carell, you have just like Brad a Pitt. million people. Yeah. yeah. Just like everybody is yeah. in this movie for a little bit. And so basically it opens with um, Michael Burry, who's played by Christian Bale, noticing a trend in the market that something's weird with the mortgages. Yeah, subprime specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So like, why is this happening? And so he's seeing it, you know, years before, you know, the quote unquote other professionals are alerting their banks or their governments that like something's not right here. Yeah. So, um, and it's, it shows how different groups of people found this out at different times. But it also takes you on this journey of like, what it means to like have this like wall street banking like gambling stuff going on and it's it sounds like boring like if you've not seen it you're like oh a movie about banking (laughs) um but like it is it's filmed really well the performances are really great it does have weird laugh out loud moments where you're like how is this reality right um it has great performances by so many people but like Ryan Gosling is sort of our narrator, and then he, like, pops in now and again, Um, and he does some, like, fourth wall breaks. Like, he's talking to you as the audience. Um, I think Steve Carell's really good in this as well. Um, He sort of plays, like, he's a very depressed individual. He has some things that have happened in his family life, Um, but he still has this, like, moral compass that Mm -hmm. he cannot believe that what he's seeing as real is real. Yeah. Um, and Brad Pitt's character, um, whose name I cannot remember, um, he is sort of ahead of his time. He's a mask wearer at the airport, very caring about who's listening in on what, where, um, really good performance from him as well. I really like Finn, um, oh my gosh, his name is, he's from Uh, American Horse. Red Rock? Yes. Um, who him and his partner, they sort of hit on this accidentally. And it's before they have really any money to borrow or any, like, way of trading on it. But just, like, seeing it from all angles, you're just like, I see how it happened. But then you're like, nothing changed. Right. So it's just, like, it's kind of depressing, but really good. Yeah. And it does have a lot of interesting parts. And it's just really, really watchable. Like, there are times when I, like... So I ended up buying it on DVD because it would be on and off streamers all the time. And whenever I wanted to watch it, it seemed like it was an off streamer. (laughs) So I ended up buying it on DVD because I'm a physical media girly anyways. So I'm like, I'm going to own that on DVD. And sometimes I'm just like, I feel like watching The Big Short. Yeah. So I've probably watched it like 10 times. Right. Which is a lot of times to that, have watched yeah, a banking Yeah, that's movie. some rewatchability <laughs> for you for sure. Yeah, that DVD is getting some work. But I, I just, I think it's really good. And I think if you haven't watched it, you should watch it. Because I think it's a digestible way of, like, seeing what happened. Yeah. And, like, there are things around it that, you know, the characters and, and how they discover things are not real. But this is based on a book as well. Yeah. So, like, Michael Lewis's book. And so it... It makes sense. Like, 
there are things that we don't know about like i don't know anything about like the stock market or like trading or like how things are rated and it does a really good job of explaining it to you so that you can enjoy the movie and get why they're so upset or excited about whatever the thing is that's happening well i mean even the opening sequences with christian bale um and him just starting to discover this and starting Mm -hmm. to see you know and he's doing the the first initial digging into it where he's just looking at spreadsheets upon spreadsheets of just like numbers yeah and you're like yay he's somehow figuring out but (laughs) i mean like i really need to say like christian bale's job as michael burry yeah holy crap like from the word go at the beginning of the movie he he, the portrayal is is of a character that i've never seen christian bale do before at least i feel like and the glass eye thing yeah that the character has i didn't know that when i first went into it so i was like why did his why does his one eye move suddenly but not the other one? Yeah. And then they, they show that in these little there's these little cutscenes that constantly happen where you're getting either some background about the character or about their lives, you know, and Or about it, the banking industry, whatever it is. Right, yeah. And so uh, he did I, I think an amazing job. Like I, I like Christian Bale everybody does Steve Carell also with yeah. his character, like another character that I've never seen Steve Carell play nor would I ever really think that that's something Steve Carell could do? Yeah, because nothing about him is funny. Yeah, no. Like, he does not have a single... And he's very abrasive, how yeah. he sounds. It's like, incredibly dramatic. And, you know, and it's because of the things that have happened in his life yeah. recently, you know. And you get to see that little piece in the film. Or yeah. at least it's alluded the to. The family it. life of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then, and then as you said, like, we get to... You get to learn about these in little short snippets because there's these cameos that are done by people who explain certain aspects yeah, of it. Yeah, like so, you Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie in a bathtub. <laughs> you know, you've got Anthony Bourdain comes in. Oh, uh, Richard yes. Thaler. Selena Gomez. Yeah. You know, they all... All make these cameo appearances to the in these, Break, like, they're breaking the fourth wall they're talking directly to the audience yeah to like help catch us up yeah exactly trying to explain like what this thing is or what that is because yeah. it isn't easy no. uh, you know and even when you're watching the film you do still even though it's being explained to you or shown through the characters you still get the sense that even they are right on this like leading edge of things that are understandable or not understandable yeah. You know, um, trading of subprime mortgages didn't exist at one point in time. Yeah. That, that was not a I thing. love when they explained all of that stuff to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Michael Michael Burry uh, comes into this and he's like, I'm going to just have banks make it for me. Yeah. Right? Like, he has enough money to throw out. He's just like, we're going to create this thing and yeah. it's going to be tradable. And then that's what other characters catch on to. It's like, yeah. oh, what? This thing yeah, doesn't exist. How is exist. this a real thing? Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, it's, so it good. is a very interesting, almost, I mean, it's not a documentary, but... It, it does portray real life events and real life characters. And like, it's not that far removed. So like 2015 and 2008 slash nine, yeah. not that far removed. Yeah. So it was still like fairly fresh. My only nitpick about the movie, cause I do enjoy it so much is <laughs> what is that horrible wig that they have on Ryan Gosling's head? <laughs> it feels like they could have spent a few more dollars and made it look real. Absolutely. It's horrific. <laughs> Poor Ryan. What's your number two? My number two is Mad Max Fury Road. A proper theater experience. Yeah, absolutely. I remember seeing it in the theater. That was a proper theater experience. You know, I was hesitant initially to go see this film. I, I mean, I love the Mad Max franchise. You know, Mel Gibson, all that stuff. You yeah. know, the craziness of it. But I was like, is it a, is it a theater watch? Because yeah, is it all, worth those dollars? Those theater dollars? Yeah, because yeah. all of the Mad Maxes from before, well, 
it's good fodder for, you know, just a watch every once in a yeah. while or something. It's not something I would normally be like, mm, I need to see this yeah. in the theaters. Like, <laughs> yeah. the action of Mel Gibson, you know, yeah. running around in, you know, Barter Town. Ooh, fantastic. <laughs> and yet, I am so glad I did go to theater yeah. for this. Because it is, a, it is just like a cacophony of, of melodic sounds and, yeah. and bass. And just like, the, the sound alone is worth the watch in a theater. It's... I think it's the most important part of that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it drives. Yeah, it makes action. you feel panicked. Right. Yeah. Like, it was so good. Yeah. I remember that yeah. theater watch. And it's one of those ones where, um, you know, because it is done by George Miller, so it does have a kind of graphic novel, comic bookiness yeah. to it. Um, and it's it's like the fast- styling, the makeup. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fast paced because it's basically a chase. For almost the entire movie, yeah. it feels like it does not let um, up. Yeah, and so it goes. And I really, I really like this film because there's so many themes in it as well. Like it's not just so John Wick. You know, it does have its own things too, but it is very much an action film yeah. all the way through. Whereas I feel like Mad Max Fury Road has definitely some themes and some commentary to go along with it. That, yeah. And it's not just you know within the narrative uh, it is within the narrative but it's not just about like class system and like the relationship between the men and the women like there's a lot of stuff there yeah yeah and they do explore it like they don't shy away from it um i do think it's interesting that it's mad max fury road and mad max is played by tom hardy whom i do love but like during this time basically chose roles where he like barely talked um but like (laughs) he's to me, not the main character. Absolutely not. No, he's he isn't. And I mean, like, even Tom Hardy's portrayal of Mad Max is very muted. Yeah. I mean, still good and shows an early Max. Pro- yeah. oh, well, an early Max within the post-apocalyptic, yeah. you know, universe that it is. But it's Charlize that yeah. is oh, actually the, the lead in this and definitely the, the anchor of the story. Yeah. Um, because it's what's happening to Furiosa that we're following. Uh, you know, and, and, of course, all the other... You know, Rosie hunting uh, Whitley's uh, Splendid and, you know, all the other girls that are in it, too. Uh, But, yeah, it is that. That is what the narrative is about. Yeah. And I I really think that that was really cool because I was coming in expecting. I was like, oh, we're just going to watch Mad Max be. Mad Max. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And it's like, oh, no, we we see Furiosa. Did you feel, like, the performance from Charlize and, like, she had... She's done lots of things in the past, for sure. But there was something about her turn as Furiosa that really reminded me of Ripley. Oh, yeah. yeah from, yeah, yeah. like, like Aliens Ripley, not, like, right. first-time Ripley. Yeah. Of this, like, woman who is just completely she knows. Yeah. And if you're listening, you're listening. If you're not, she knows, and she's just doing it anyways. Yeah. Like, and that's what it feels... Like, that's what Ripley feels like to me. It's like, she knows about the aliens. No one's listening. Whatever. She knows. So gonna do she's going to anyway, figure though. it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And that's... That, to me, when I was watching Furiosa, I was like, this is really giving me, like, this callback right. to this... Well, or you could see it even in, like, Linda Hamilton's Sarah yeah, Connor yeah, in T2 as well. Yeah, yeah. But, like, it's just, like, this very... Like, she's not trying to be this, like, movie woman. Yeah. She is just Furiosa. Yeah. And, like, whatever. She's not trying to be... Okay, Charlize is beautiful. Oh, Yeah. But she's not trying to be beautiful. No. I think she's trying to be ugly, but not in a like physical way. Like her, she's just very hard, and like her, she's not like nobody has a good personality, right? And like, and you're not expected to in this world, even though yeah, like you'd look at Charlize and you'd be like, oh well, 
what yeah. character are you playing? Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm playing the most, you know, bad bleep person in this film. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and she takes the reins when, yeah. when it, it comes to that. And she has a very specific direction that she wants to go in the film. You know, she's trying to free her and the group that she originally yeah. took, you know, uh, didn't intend for Max to be even along on the trip. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and if she, he's going to be helpful, fine. Yeah. If he's not, she's ready to sacrifice Ready to him. shoot him. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like, <laughs> ready to take him right out. And yeah, yeah I think... I think that goes to show also, like, that, you know, Charlize has had a long history in cinema and film. And I feel like this is kind of one of the points where I, you know, in 2015, we see her do this. And then she does things like Atomic Blonde yeah. and then also Old Guard. I was on just thinking Netflix. the Old Guard also, yeah. You know, so this is kind of like, I feel like almost the starting off point where she realizes she has this action potential to, yeah. to her. And she shows it, you yeah. know. Um, they don't shy away from her doing a lot of the action bits in the film. Yeah. She takes care of business just as and much as she does. And she doesn't look out of place. Like, her toughness or her persona as Furiosa, it's not like, oh, yeah. uh, you're failing at this little, like, it looks weird or, right. like, doesn't feel authentic. It does. And I think that's what's so successful. Yeah, absolutely. I think... And I, I really like that you brought up, and it was a really good comparison with you know Ellen Ripley, and 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 I do think that the film very much focuses. It is Furiosa's film, mm-hmm. and I'm really excited for the next one that's supposed to come out that focuses on Furiosa before Mad Max. I kind of yeah, like I'm torn. Like I'm gonna watch it, obviously. Right. But I mean, I'm, I'm worried too because I, I have expectations. Have, yeah, <laughs> I always have problems with prequels. I I really I really suffer with like going backwards right. in a story. Yeah. In the same way that it, I find it really hard to like watch the first movie of a trilogy or something when they're trying to like set everything up. Right. And so I find it the same. Like if I'm in the character and I'm I'm with them whoever they are and then they're like going back to tell me something. It's like, "No, but we're already at the other part right. in your life." So like, let's go from there. Like that's how I know you. I don't need to know necessarily how you got there. So I will be interested to see how they handle that story. And I mean, they do have Anya Taylor Joy, yes. who is an excellent actress. And She's Chris Hemsworth as a villain, too. That's, I, I'm still I mean... waiting on that one. <laughs> All right, but yes, no. Anya like Taylor we'll Joy, see, yeah. we'll see. But yeah, it's just, it's very interesting, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I have, I want to see it. I'm going to go see it, yeah. of course. But my, I'm trying to mitigate my expectations because, yeah. again, like you said, it's a prequel. It's also kind of like when I watched the trailer, there was a couple of things that like Chris Hemsworth character says that are like very cheesy delivery, yeah. like and lines, and I was like, mm, yeah, it's not gonna have the same feel as Fury Road, so I'm gonna go into it knowing that, yeah, yeah, knowing it but not feeling it, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. What is your so my number two <laughs> is a very important movie to me. Although objectively, I probably not the greatest movie, but it is Pirates of the Caribbean, or Caribbean. I don't know how people say it. Sure, yeah. Whichever way you want to say it, Curse of a Black Pearl. Yeah. Came out in two thousand and three. This is around the time that I graduated high school, plus or minus, depending on whatever. And I, at the time, really liked Johnny Depp. I really, really liked Johnny Depp. <laughs> and when this came out. Like, first of all, it's, like, a Gore Verbinski, like, action, mm. like, comedy, yeah. but, like, yeah. big action movie. Again, you have, like, Orlando Bloom, who's having 
two huge franchises going on at the same time. Yeah. Good for you, our Legend of yeah. Bloom. Um, he's in Lord of the Rings, in case some of you are not familiar. Um, and then you have Kira Knightley, who yeah. has done a couple of things, but is not like Kira Knightley of today. Right. And young. She's very young. And it's just, it's good. Like, it's, it's at a time, so like, it's based off a ride. And I'm sure like when people heard of that, like, <laughs> if social media had been around, oh, it would have been ripped, oh, ripped to shreds. shreds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it came out and people were like, oh, there's this like pirate movie. And like, when was the last time there was a pirate movie? Yeah. It had been a minute. Right. Um, but it's fun. It's a fun movie. Yeah. He's ridiculous. Like, Jack Sparrow. He was nominated for an Academy Award for this performance because he is a different type of character, for yeah. sure. Um, Orlando Bloom is sort of great as this, like, romantic foil. He's like... And to me, this movie feels a little bit like a romance novel. Right, yeah. Um, in terms of, like, the lightness of the characters, you really care about, like, Orlando Bloom and, and Kira Knightley sort of being childhood friends and then being drawn apart because he's the blacksmith's <laughs> son and she's, like, in the governor's mansion and, like, all that kind of stuff. So you have that element of yeah. it. And then you have, like, the pirate-verse Right. That's happening. Yeah. But then you have like Jeffrey Rush as oh, Barbosa. So good. And you have just like the reveal of like the ghost pirate part is so good. <laughs> and just like it was a well planned movie. Yeah. It's a romp and it makes sense. You have like the little coins, you have all of those things, and it builds towards that last scene in the like cavern where it all makes sense and it's enjoyable oh yeah like you're not bored you're not annoyed you're not like oh this is for children or oh this is like it is a good like family type of watch yeah like maybe not like a three-year-old no, but no. like you know yeah. properly aged children and like you're all watching it and it's all enjoyable yeah and i loved it I think the other movies are a little bit uneven. I still watch them. I still like them. Yeah. Um, but this movie was so, to me, perfect at the time. It was like everything that I wanted. Yeah. Like going into it. Again, blind because no social media. Right. Um, and I just, I really, really liked it. I loved the costuming. I loved, like they were all well cast and they all had like their little quips. They all had like their yeah. little things. And it was good. Yeah. It, it's objectively good. It's a little bit, I think it's overstayed its welcome with how many films. Oh, have yeah, happened. absolutely. Yeah. And I've, I've not seen past three. Okay. Because after like Elizabeth and Will were gone, I didn't really care. Right. And um, yeah, and I just like, whatever. Like, so to me, the three are the three. Um, so I think it did sort of overstay its welcome. I mean,. I, if if I were to give you one piece of advice, I'd say get watching the other ones too. I, because I don't they're know. oh yeah, they have your Bardem. Oh my gosh, like when he his villain is so good, and that but movie I, was actually like was enjoyable to watch. Maybe not like on the level of Curse of the Black Pearl, but it was still good. Yeah, but if I'm a pirates, I'm watching <laughs> Curse of the Black yeah, Pearl. But but I mean like you're you're right. This film has it all. And it's done in such a light way that is easily digestible and rewatchable every time. Yeah, I feel it's like. a romp. It has the narrative, it has the characters, it has action, it has comedy, it has, like you said, that romantic element. 
it's a period piece, so it also has that to it too. It's just and, it's fun. And it has its, its own like too. weird mythology stuff. Yeah, yeah, the that rules. Builds on, yeah. yeah, I I really liked it, and I think the time of like Disney movies, live action at that time, you have movies like National Treasure also. Yeah, like yeah, which I don't want to spoil because we'll talk about Nicolas Cage later. Uh, not the later today, later yeah. later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, it just I wish that Disney were making those type of movies again. Right. I like, and I think they tried to sort of use their Marvel movies as that. Yeah. But to me, they're something else. Marvel is something else. It, it's its own beast. Yeah. And and it again, as you talk about like this movie's sequels overstaying its welcome. Yeah. I do feel like the Marvel universe has also now has its overstayed its welcome. As well. um, yeah. You know, like there are good bits that have come out, but post Avengers. But now there's too much. Post, yeah. The it, problem is it's too much. It's gone it's too far. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's so. and so like, yeah, I feel like I, I really like this pick and I'm glad that you put it on here because it is mm-hmm. one of those films that was unexpectedly amazing and and really like changed I, I think like how pirate films were done because yeah. before then they were kind of quite a bit different or they were too dark and gritty perhaps and yeah. and focused too much on certain aspects of piracy whereas this was much more lighthearted and it's campy without being cringy yeah yeah like you're not watching it being like Ugh. you're watching it be like he yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's fun it's a fun watch and that's why it's on my list it was very important to me yeah absolutely what's your number one all right, my number one, uh, this number one had changed a couple of times, and I threw a few things on the list and took them off and then put things back on. But when, as I'm thinking about all the films that I've watched over the span of time that we've chosen. and Which is I'm, too many years, 24 yeah, years. <laughs> and, I, and I was careful to pick the, this particular director because I feel like all of his films are amazing. Yeah, I had a lot of his films. Yeah, yeah. And so like trying to pick one of those films was like, which one do I go with? with yeah. And and I picked the one that I thought probably has the most mass appeal, perhaps, for yeah. our, our listeners. Um, some of the other ones being that they are too slow or they're kind of plotting or they're very, like, they're very deep. They're amazing movies, but they're not necessarily, like, something you'd rewatch all the time. Yeah. And so that's why I picked Dune 2021. <laughs> uh, Denis does an amazing job yeah. on this for so many reasons. I was going to save this movie for a time when you and I talked maybe more about cinematography in general. Yeah. We can talk more about it then. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. But, I mean, this this movie is cinema done right in yeah. so many ways, especially the visual, uh, beautiful scenery and everything that goes like along with that. Like the vastness of it all. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you were talking in Lord of the Rings about, you know, them filming on location and, yeah. and, and such. Dune gives that feeling to yeah. it of being on lo- on location, on Arrakis. Not just Arrakis, but the other planets too. Yeah. And it it just kind of like the cinematography, the, the way that it's captured is gorgeous. And I... I can only say, like, it's only Denis that ever gets me like this when it kind of, like, Blade Runner 2049 was also on the list. But because of that, too, it was just quite a bit slower of a movie, right? So I was like, "Mm, do I want to put it on there? No, probably not. Um, And I feel like this has story, it has world building, it has 
really great performances. It's a great showing of ensemble cast, which mm-hmm. is something you and I seem to like really we latch onto. Towards, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It has beautiful set pieces. The production value is out of the roof, and and also the editing is something that I feel like is very important in Denise films yeah, 100%. and and i i think we it doesn't get talked about enough because it's not as exciting yeah obviously yeah. right but joe walker is the editor for almost all denis films so when i did a little bit of research on this it's like oh he did He's, he has like a team yeah, yeah. He, he does sicario he does like all of the uh, you know he did blade runner 2049 you yeah. know um and joe walker is a, a classically trained uh composer in classical music and so i feel like Joe gets Denise's um, way that he films, and there's it's almost melodic. Yeah, and, there's and, a mood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a pace to it, and I feel like Joe, when he edits Denise's stuff, does it beautifully in that sense because they don't seem jarring; they seem perfectly timed. You know, the Dune has these cutback scenes, has these also vision scenes that yeah. happen, and it's really well done in that. It doesn't feel like it's... It doesn't feel choppy. Right. Yeah. yeah, because so much of that can be like Yeah, that. and it'll take you right out of whatever story that they're telling. Yeah. You're like, where are we now? Yeah. But this, like, flows. Yeah, And you're like, blended. where are we going? Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> and so I, that's, that's why I, I wanted to talk about Joe Walker for sure, at least in this, because I do feel like him, Denis, and Hans Zimmerman all somehow sat in a room and were like, how do we make a musical... How do we basically make a movie that is music? Yeah, almost because that's kind of the vibe I get from it. And it the sounds just in general, right, are so good. The sounds of what the armies sound like, what the right. ships sound yeah. like, what like again, excellent theater experience. And you too, dear audience, will have the opportunity if you miss this one in theaters because Dune Two is coming out in March. Yeah, March first, um, and I will be seeing that in the theaters, one hundred percent. Because it's worth your theater dollars. It's worth the visual spectacle of it. It's worth the sound of it. It's worth the experience. And I think sometimes we we don't get those movies anymore. Right. Um, it's more spectacle. Whereas this is really like for film. It's for like just, yeah, to see everything in the theater. Yeah. To have that experience. I'm really looking forward to it. It's been pushed back a couple of times for a myriad of reasons. Right. And I'm very, very excited about it. And my favorite thing about Dune, one of, wow, I like everything about Dune, but my one of my favorite things about Denis Villeneuve promoting Dune was that he was promoting it as part one before they had told him he could make a part two. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, before he got even greenlit. Yeah, and like, and put it on the title card before he even got greenlit. Right. Because he was like, I'm manifesting part two. It is happening. And like, he wants to make a third one as well. Yeah. Um, and finish off his trilogy. It's one of the things that he wants to do. And like, I'm excited for it. Yeah, yeah. And like it's it's a good movie. Yeah, I mean, it, it and I mean we talk a lot about the cinematography of it and the ensemble cast, but there are two performances in this movie that I think are really well done, and that's Timothy and Rebecca. Uh, yeah. They both of their characters and the way that they play off each other, the chemistry between them is. It's kind of weird though, because she's like his stepmom. Yeah, and yeah. There were weird stuff, but and, and yet it, it makes it makes sense for the movie. Right. But yeah. Like, <laughs> and it, it, yeah, it is weird, but. but I think this is first movie that because like i had seen lady bird with timothy chalamet but Mm -hmm. he's very supporting in that but otherwise like i haven't really seen timothy chalamet in anything 
except for him being like super famous with people younger than myself. Right. Uh, so I hadn't really like uh, I didn't have any expectations for him, I guess. And then I was very surprised. He had a lot of chemistry with a lot of different actors. Oh, yeah. He was great with Jason Momoa. He yeah. was great with Oscar Isaac. Yeah. He's yeah, as you said, he's great with um, Rebecca, whose name last name Ferguson. I can't Ferguson. Yeah. Thank you. Um, he he's great at like long distance with Zendaya. You would understand if you saw that yeah. movie. And like the movie is long, but Very, it doesn't yeah. feel long. And it also doesn't feel like I think like Zendaya has like eight minutes of screen time or something I'd yeah. read. But it doesn't feel like that because her presence is in the film. And I'm excited to see where her character goes or where Denis takes her in the second one. Yeah. Because she does have this like enigmatic nature. And I think the two of them will be very interesting together, like on in the screen, like sharing screen. Yeah. Um, but like Dave Batista again, oh. I have to shout him out because yeah. I love that he takes roles that are like smaller. Yeah. Or, like, unexpected. Clearly, he's worked with Denis before he was in Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Another very, like, surprising... That, um, that was the one that blew my mind yeah. about him because he did such an amazing yeah, job in that film. Like, very, holy Like, crap. a small performance in terms yeah. of, like, screen time or, like, the quietness of his performance. Yes. And, like, he's such a commanding, physically commanding individual. You expect him to be a certain way. Yeah. But I love that he's choosing projects that are funny, that are action, that are like proper act, you know, proper quote unquote yeah. acting and like really trying to build himself a very interesting career. I am interested in, in him every time I see him on screen because he's yeah. bringing, he's not playing Dave Batista. He's whomever it is. That, yeah. And like you see him as one thing because he, he is such an imposing gentleman yeah, that you think that he's only going to be one way but yeah you see him in some of these performances and you're just like oh dave batista yeah you never think to see it because he's you know from wwf he was a wrestler and you're yeah. like mm. we've seen wrestlers Drax, the... and you're like that makes sense yeah yeah whatever but he is a he's this like character actor yeah who has gravitas yeah and it blows me away i loved him in knives out glass onion yeah too. Like, he has that, he has the humor about him. Like, he's really good, and I am excited to see more from him, for sure, too. Yeah, Yeah, I'm excited for that second one. Yeah, me too. It's like, it's probably one of the things I'm most excited about this year. I know know one of the complaints about Dune originally was that uh, the way that it had stopped was a cliffhanger or whatever. Like, people were upset. I was like, you can read the books if you want to know more, or there's like, Wikipedia it, I'm sure, too. How many Dune adaptations do you need to know the full story? Like I do think that he never intended to have this much of weight between his films oh no yeah i mean he got stuck behind you know obviously very big things by covid you know, by strike, strike yeah by everything strike, yeah. 100%. <laughs> so it wasn't his fault um but yeah like i am very excited for yeah. dune too yeah, yeah. and to see where it is and i do hope that he he doesn't necessarily do like a huge cliffhanger for two because again three is something that he wants to do but he's talking about it in the future not as his like next film yeah so i do hope that we do get a conclusion of a story right. with enough to like take us to the third when he decides to to do the third. Yeah, um, I, I hope he's. I do think he'll. I think it's I hard sometimes with second films. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we'll <laughs> yeah, see what happens. It, I trust him though. I trust him. <laughs> My number one yeah. brings us to the last film to be discussed today, and I told Lee that this is going to be my number one before I knew anything else about it, <laughs> and I do feel a little bit bad because. It's one that I saw for the first time this summer, but it's, mm. like, nearly 10 years old. Right. 
Um, I so, had just recently saw it too. Yeah. So like within this past year. So it came out in 2014. Again, one of the directors that we're constantly talking about on this <laughs> podcast because we have our favorites, Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. Yeah. So this, when this movie came out, I don't know why I didn't think it was for me. Something about it or just maybe I wasn't seeing as many films at the time. Uh, I, I really, really couldn't say. So I think I saw something probably on TikTok, if we're being honest, and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And then I see the caption, and it's like, oh, it's a scene from Interstellar. And I was like, excuse me? Excuse me, what? <laughs> and so I didn't really – I didn't know what Interstellar was about, so I started watching it on a summer's afternoon, as one does. And it's long, because most yeah. Nolan films are. Yeah. And I was so taken by the film, like, visually mm. – but also so taken by the film emotionally that I thought that I was having a little mini breakdown while I was watching it. <laughs> I used so many Kleenexes. Um, it's just, it's so good at building the characters mm-hmm. that when things happen, you are actually heartbroken for them. And the performances are so good that I don't eat like you don't even see them as who they are. Right. You just see them as their characters. So like this is Matthew McConaughey just after True Detective. Mm-hmm. So and just after sort of his Oscar win where he's like now an actor. Right. Um and he's he's the lead. I would say he's the lead of the film. Yeah. Um it is an ensemble, but I would say he's the lead. Um, and then it has like John Lithgow. It has baby Timothy Chalamet for a little bit. <laughs> it has um, Anne Hathaway, Michael Caine. Um, it just has, I don't want to spoil the one person because that person was a surprise for me when they went okay. to that planet right. to find Dr. Man. Right. Um, so if you haven't watched it, just watch the movie and I won't tell you that one person who's in it because <laughs> I thought that was a good reveal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. That was unexpected for sure. Yeah, and I had I, I didn't know, so I don't want to spoil it for people even though it was seven years old um, or nine years old, I guess. But the I love space, first of all. Yeah. So I don't know why I didn't watch this, but the sort of heartbreaking choices that they make to hopefully better their circumstance to save he has like two sort of teenage children and he's the only one who's ever been in space the earth is dying everything is bad basically and they're like go on this mission figure out a way to save your kids do this thing and like he's a genius obviously his daughter is a genius how much of a genius we see later yeah but she's a she's very a genius and um you know that there's gonna be weird time stuff because nolan loves a weird time situation (laughs) but they travel through a black hole and i just want to talk about my favorite and i use the term loosely because it emotionally wrecks me scene um where they get to the other side of the black hole and they're going to investigate these worlds to see if there's one that the earth could colonize and populate and and have a better future and they realize that because of the black hole the closest planet is experiencing time in a shift yeah so an hour down there is seven years on earth or above the planet or whatever it is so they have to make this decision to see if this planet is worthy or would work and you realize once you get down there that 
no. And everything sort of goes wrong. And I think it's 21 years that yeah, elapses some, in yeah, that something time. something like that, yeah. So they finally return to their ship. For them, it's three hours. For the rest of the world, it's 21 years. And they have all of these messages saved. And Matthew McConaughey sits down, sees messages from his children, from his father-in-law, and sort of catch up with their lives because 21 years he's missed now. And he starts watching them and how it's filmed and how you see his face and how you see the graininess of the screen. If you can have a dry eye, I don't even know if you can experience emotion (laughs) in your life because it is so, so, so heartbreaking. And when he starts crying, he doesn't look fake. Right. He looks like heartbroken and he he you feel heartbroken for him because he sort of jokingly says to his daughter, like, maybe when I come back we'll be the same age. Right. And I it's not a joke, but it's it's not serious necessarily. No, I yeah. he didn't take it seriously, but when he realizes now that yes, they are probably the same age or very similar. And then you do see her a few scenes later in the film for the first time talking to him since she's a child, since before he left. And she says, today we're the same age. It's my birthday and we're the same age, but you're not here. And like, oh my gosh, the waterworks. And just like everything about that film is so good. I love the visuals of when he's in the black hole Mm. and he's figuring out that like, he sent himself right just like beautiful i love that she's a genius i love the thing with the watch Mm, i love like it's a it's a father-daughter love story really because she loves like the daughter loves him so much that she even when she is so heartbroken so angry hates him yeah she still believes in the back of her mind that he's coming right so like she has to f- that she's putting it on herself. She has to figure out how he's coming so that she can like be there when he's there. Yeah. And meanwhile, he's experiencing time in a completely different narrative Extremely, to yeah. her. And it's just it's so so good and the heartbreaking but uplifting final moments of that film when he I'm going to spoil it whatever. You can skip ahead 20 seconds. Um <laughs> Because I have to talk about it, because I have to talk about it with you. Those final moments when he is scooped up and he's brought to that station. Yeah. And you're like, as an audience person, especially that first time, you're like, when is it? Like, how? Like, what is happening? And you realize that it's it's been a long time. Yeah. Because the jumps that technology and humanity has had in this time. And then you realize that she has... Um, extended her life by going into cryo sleeps because she wanted to be there because she knew he was going to come back. Right. And she, at the end, it's Alan Burstyn who, she opens the film as well, but you don't know that she is who she is at the beginning of the film, which I love that parallel. And you see her and he's Matthew McConaughey and she's Ellen Burstyn. And that is father and daughter experiencing time in completely different ways. And... I don't even know if I can say it without crying. <laughs> um, but when she says that she knew he was going to come back. Yeah. And that's what she was waiting for. 
but that his time is no longer with her. That he should not. I'm going to cry. <laughs> not be there when she dies. Right. That his place is no longer there. Right. Oh, my God. I'm crying now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's so real. Yeah. And it's so, yeah, it's so hopeful, but so heartbreaking. But she has built a whole life without him. She yeah. was married, had children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and she is surrounded by people. Yeah. And she waited for him. Right. I just, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, this is probably one of the Nolan films that has some of the deepest narrative yeah. heft to it, I feel like, because there was, you know, like a, a lot of his other films, while very narrative-driven and, and have a lot of those aspects, this is somehow like a real like a real has a realism to it that it's so emotionally grounded yeah like the space stuff is happening the action is happening all of that but it's so grounded in the relationship between the father and the daughter which is kind of interesting how realistic the narrative is Mm -hmm. because the movie is also scientifically realistic to uh to a very large degree there's some artistic license taken on a few things you know but they had kip thorne who was a theoretical physicist uh and he was a consultant and an executive producer who argued with Nolan for two weeks over things, you know, like at certain things that were just like Nolan wanted them to go faster than the speed of light. And Kip was like, absolutely not. That's impossible. <laughs> you cannot do that. And Nolan actually threw the idea out and did something different. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it has this, like this, this scientific heft to it too, along with all the emotional and narrative stuff. Yeah. So it has, it has all of that going along with it, which is really interesting. And, and I just, I feel like this movie is kind of like the best of showing what sticking with the science can do and, and not, not trying to be too far be, like into what I would consider like high science, science fiction. fiction yeah. Right. Yeah. Because then we get to see other movies. Um, the, the one, the Martian, for instance, yeah. you know, that, uh, while has again some artistic license to it, is still grounded in a lot of science. Yeah. And I want to see more of these types of films. Me like, too. You know, I want I want to see more of like really good science, but with like really good emotional narrative attached to it. I too. like movies about space and science that are sort of married with the emotion. I think that's why I go back to like Apollo thirteen all the time. Right. And yeah, The Martian. This. Because, like, yeah, I know Apollo 13 actually happened. The other ones didn't. But there's a similar feel about how they work the problem and how they are still people. They're making mistakes or they're trying to figure out as they go or whatever it is. And I just, I love that movie so much. So since the summer, I've probably watched it, like, four times now. Okay. And it gets me every time. And... Like, every time, you think to yourself, oh, like, because it's three hours, right? Right. So you're like, oh, well, I'll watch it for a bit, and then I'll do X, Y, Z, right? <laughs> and then you're like, well, this is a good part coming up, so I'll just, I'll stay a few minutes more yet. And then it's a few minutes more. And then you watch the whole film. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so good. And, like, just everything about it is good. I liked every single person in it. I like every single way of how they built a world. Like, how Earth is so, like, dusty, but, like, space, and, like, their ship looks like it would be from today, too. Right. Like, it doesn't look, like, really clean and, like, pristine and, like, 
you know, Star Trek-y, I guess. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, yeah, just, yeah. like, really, like... It's not far future yeah. kind of, yeah. It's very, like, gra- like, you have the buttons and you have the switches and, like, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, it's just, it's really, really good. And, again, no one with time, like, because you see something one way and then you see it coming sort of the other way. Yeah. And I really wanted to put Tenet on the list. Right. And I went with Interstellar because Tenet, I loved Tenet. Yeah. A lot of people did not love Tenet. And I, that is a very, like, time travel-centric kind of film. So I get why people maybe are not, like, huge fans of it. But Nolan clearly cares about how time works. And if it's not time, he cares about, like, in Oppenheimer, for example, mm-hmm. like, objective reality versus personal reality. Right. Or, yeah. like, whatever it is. Like, and he's always, he's constantly, like, sort of juxtaposing ideas and looking at how the film explores different sides of it yeah. because in multiple of his films you'll see things from different angles yeah. depending on where you are in the film and which character you are following or a part of at that time and he always gives you like a little reveal yeah. and I just I love that film and even though yeah it's one of my it's an older film 2014 but it's not an old film to me. It's still like right. super fresh and new. Um, it has to be my number one. Yeah, yeah. This is a, this is a great pick for number one. You know, Ten- Tenet is a great movie, but I feel like using Interstellar as your number one is almost the better pick because it's just even that much stronger for all the emotional yeah. reasons that I mean you, you cried while we're recording this podcast <laughs> just talking about it whereas we could talk about Tenet and you'd be like nah all these things happen but yeah. it didn't it doesn't have that emotional hit and I think yeah. that's something that sometimes is missed now in, in film is yeah. that there isn't Unless you're watching indie or, you know, that kind of stuff. you. But there has to be the space because you need, I don't mean like space, like outer space. Yeah. But there has to be the space for the characters for you to like really be with them. Yeah. To be like, I literally every time I talk about this movie, I am affected by it. Right. Like I was talking to my mom about it because I was talking to her about this podcast and she's like, oh, well, what's your number one movie? And, and like, she does not care about movies in the same way I care about movies. <laughs> um, but I was trying to tell her about this movie, and I was crying. She's like, oh, it's such a sad movie. And I was like, well, no, it's not really that sad. It's right. actually quite hopeful. Yeah. And it's it's quite based in love, like the characters in general. But, yeah, every single time I'm crying like a little baby about it. <laughs> so that's a little bit embarrassing. You know, that's great. It, it affected you that much. And then that's, I think that's a, a, a plus one to it to go see it if you haven't already. Yeah, definitely watch yeah. it. It's very, very good. Absolutely. But like have some Kleenexes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so those were our picks. We'd love to know what you are have enjoyed these yeah. last 24 years. <laughs> Quarter of a century in there. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we're old, we and I. So that's going for us. Um but, yeah, again, if you ask us this in six months' time... This could change. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. So this is just, like, in the moment. But, yeah, we'd definitely love to hear about your choices. Don't forget that you can stream films on our streaming service called Canopy. Um, it's different... Like, a lot of surprising movies are on there. Yeah. So definitely take a look and see. You can just access that with your Red Your Public Library card. If you don't have a card, you can get one online or at any branch. And we'd love to see you. So we hope you take care. We hope you enjoy these picks. 
if you've not watched them, we recommend them, obviously. Absolutely. <laughs> so we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.